Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. ARK Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARK. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARK or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by ARK to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of ARK Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of FYI. My name is Nicholas Gruss. I'm an Associate Portfolio Manager here at ARC, and today I'm joined by Andrew Kim, one of ARC's research associates, and our very special guest, Matt Kalish, who is the co-founder of DraftKings and current president of DraftKings North America. Matt, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So we'll get right into it. Um, we'd love to just kick it off with your story, your background, and you know how you came to be one of the founding members of DraftKings. Absolutely. I mean, I have what I would consider my dream job at this point. Um, 41 years old, been in you know, either corporate or um, at DraftKings for about 20 years now. And uh, really what got me ultimately to DraftKings was you know, a progression in my career where, you know, early on, I was very sort of engineering focused. I was, um, you know, writing code. I have a an, uh, a degree from Columbia for computer science, um, got more into business analytics as I progressed a little bit. And uh, I always saw a lot of appeal in the idea of bringing things to market, uh, building products, but also like communicating and talking about them to you know, end consumers. And uh, on a personal standpoint, I was always into a variety of different games, like um, poker was my passion throughout college and early in my career. I was playing like a ton of poker, tons of fantasy sports with my friends. It was pretty much any game that was not easily mastered and, you know, skill-based and and like this sort of stuff that you really felt proud of yourself if you did well. Uh, and so finding the way to merge those two things, um, really DraftKings was my outlet. So uh, I had some friends in corporate America, Jason Robbins and Paul Lieberman, and we all worked together at Vistaprint. Back in 2011, we decided to start putting our nights and weekends against this idea for like, what if you could do fantasy sports every day? you know, come on and pick a new team, which at the time that was everybody's favorite part really was, you know, the start of the season when you do the draft and who you end up with kind of dictates a lot about how your season goes in fantasy football or, or baseball or whatever. And, you know, so we were all playing all of these uh, fantasy leagues and had this idea, like, what if you could just do that every single day? And, you know, we started working towards a platform that let you do that. And within a year or so, we had raised some seed money. We were able to kind of quit our job at Vistaprint and go full-time on DraftKings, which was kind of a career milestone in and of itself. I was around 30. Jason, I think, was 31 and Paul uh, 29. And so I always felt like, you know, hey, when I'm like 30, I'd love to be out, you know, doing my own thing entrepreneurially, entrepreneurially and stuff. So 
really was an exciting moment to see like, hey, can we translate all of our skills, you know, in marketing and analytics uh, and apply it to an area that we're super passionate about and build an awesome business. So uh, first few years, we really just got into it trying to find traction. You know, it was a totally new product there. I'd say thousands of people maybe had ever tried a daily fantasy sports platform at the time. Uh, FanDuel was out there. Um, there was some other platforms that were smaller, but all of them were very small. So we felt like, you know, we were a few years behind, but had a pretty fair starting line, you know, and over the first few years, there was dozens and dozens of operators, you know, that jumped in the space that tried to grow it. And, you know, between 2012 and 2015, which was a really big year in terms of, you know, marketing intensity, it went from, you know, very few people playing daily fantasy sports to 10 million plus accounts on DraftKings that were, you know, all American sports fans that were like jumping in, trying to predict like who would have a good a good game. And that was really the starting point of what's now become the whole flywheel around DraftKings and all of our products. And so when was the, you know, the moment when you were, you, you, you had the daily fantasy product in the market. And then, you know, what was that moment where you, you know, the, the team said, hey, you know, let's start looking at the mobile sports betting opportunity. Obviously, you have, you know, the legislation that passes in 2018. Were you guys already thinking about this? Were you watching that ahead of time? to say, you know, this is an opportunity to capitalize on an adjacent market that really does tie into fantasy as well. It didn't really come on the radar until probably 2017 when New Jersey brought the case to the Supreme Court uh, looking to repeal PASPA. You know, prior to that, we'd always had a really good customer insight. We always like uh, spent a lot of time in market, you know, maybe it was like, the biggest customers on the site, meeting them in person at events or, or just kind of getting to know our different profiles and personas around, you know, the, the, the DraftKings audience. And at that stage, we'd also done a lot of national marketing, you know, like reach marketing on TV and a lot of targeted stuff, you know, basically like every channel you could think of, we were operating, you know, as a daily fantasy sports operator with pretty meaningful budgets. So kind of had a good idea of like who our customer was, what worked, what didn't. And sports betting, of course, is like a much bigger category than than daily fantasy sports was. But it was just not legal in the U.S. aside from like some very small like uh, uh, in Nevada, for example, like a couple of very small uh, local opportunities. It wasn't a big scale opportunity. And it also wasn't digital, like it was all retail based. So it didn't really flex the muscles that we thought we were best at, which is like building technology, building products, uh, digital marketing, you know, uh, customer acquisition online, like all of those things wouldn't have like played to our strengths. So it became interesting in 2017, early 2018. Um, it wasn't until May, I think it was of 2018, that we had certainty that New Jersey had won that Supreme Court case and that we would be able to launch. But we had placed a bet on sports betting kind of working out. We wanted to be prepared if it did go a certain way. So probably had about eight, eight to 10 months in advance of that decision. We had started building a sports betting platform that we could launch in New Jersey in the event that the bill, uh, that that PASPA was repealed. And you know, when we found out that that was the case, we were only a couple months from being live in market in New Jersey. It was August 1st of 2018 that we took our first bet. So I think it was a combination of, you know, conviction, 
uh, that the bill had a good chance or, or that passed about a good chance of repeal, as well as like leaning into that opportunity because we knew our customers so well. We understood that that was, you know, a very, very high rate. We, we would see our existing customer jump into that new like product. And now it seems obvious, but at the time it wasn't so clear that daily fantasy operators would be the winner in sports betting. It was like, what if caesars mgm like big big casino companies like come in and just dominate the market or what if like a european sportsbook conglomerate jump in and win the market and only now it's more clear that like DraftKings and fanduel are kind of like the two biggest operators nationally in the u.s but back then we still had a lot to prove so you know definitely it was quite the journey over the last several years really like demonstrating that yeah, it's really interesting to think back at that time because, you know, you are digitally native companies, both, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel, and you were setting up, you know, digital online sports books. But, you know, let's fast forward four or five years. You're now a public company. You have a very successful online sports book operation, daily fantasy, iGaming. And now you're pushing into new frontiers with, you know, the inclusion of Web3 and what you're doing with Rainmakers, which I think is an undertold story uh, for both investors and just, you know, people that may use DraftKings products. Not many people are familiar with Rainmakers and what you're doing with Web3 and incorporating there. So we'd love for you to talk um, about this. I know it's one of your passions, Web3, the whole space. So just, yeah, you know, you, you saw the market and where the market was headed with online sports betting back in 2018, and you took a bet then. Are you now taking another bet with the inclusion of Web3 and what you're doing today with Rainmakers? Absolutely. Yeah, it was probably around like the earlier part of 2021. You know, this was during like the kind of peak coming off the end of COVID, like right before, you know, the vaccines and everything when people were pretty locked down. Like we definitely noticed a big change in a lot of our customers' behavior and like probably the biggest change was a lot more interest in, uh, you know, initially it was things like day trading in the stock market or uh, maybe some other things that were more familiar to our customers pre-COVID, like uh, trading cards, like baseball cards, basketball cards, whatever. Um, and you'll see like all of those industries did quite well, you know, in terms of like, whether it's like retail stock traders or um, whether it be something like, physical sports cards or other sorts of like alternative, you know, uh, collectibles. So, you know, those were all growing rapidly and we noticed that pretty quickly. And so had some discussions early on about like, hey, how interesting are these categories like physical sports card trading and whatever, and kind of similar to retail sports book that we were talking about before. It was like, yes, interesting, but not necessarily like in our sweet spot of like building tech, building platforms, uh, acquiring customers digitally. Like it was, it's still at the end of the day was a physical product that you're you're probably storing it, you're maintaining it. Not a great like entry point for us necessarily, even if our customers were doing it. And what changed was probably around like Jan or February when um, like NBA Top Shots and then ultimately, you know, OpenSea and some of the the kind of big boom around NFT digital collectibles became like super prominent. So it was very noticeable. We always notice when our first like golden cohorts of customers move a certain way, you always know what's next, right? So um I just happened to notice it's like the same people that are always on to what's next first. We're all jumping in on this thing, right? And, you know, it was 
projects like CryptoPunks or uh, Top Shots or, you know, some of the early NFT drops that like uh, maybe it was Q1 or Q2 of 2021. These things were like a frenzy. It was people couldn't stay away from just the the kind of intrigue of what's going on with digital collectibles. And it was even a little bit undefined why that was appealing, but uh, it was undeniable that there was crazy momentum there. So for us, step one was, hey, great entry point. It's something right in our sweet spot. We are excellent digital marketers. We're great at building tech. And hey, we need to build a platform that lets us effectively DraftKings marketplace, like a blockchain-based marketplace solution that lets us play in this space that could become, over the next decades, gigantic, right? And so we did a partnership with Polygon, built uh, in-house a team of blockchain engineers. And uh, we also had a lot of people like... um, you know, who were building other products that we were able to swarm against different aspects of our marketplace business. And it was only a handful of months. Like we were in market with our first NFT drops on our own native marketplace by August of 2021. So it was probably like a four or five month build. Uh, And we launched initially with a partner called Autograph. Autograph is the NFT project that like Tom Brady and, you know, Tiger Woods, Tony Hawk, Simone Biles, like all of these OG kind of like best ever at their sport athletes were were in and around this project. So it was kind of like a nice intuitive learning experience to, to launch with Autograph, had like this dynamic that made sense to our customers and also was timely in terms of like right during some of the digital collectible kind of peak, you know, we were in market and got some really interesting data. And that being said, like our long game was always to kind of like more deeply integrate in terms of DraftKings core business. You know, we have a lot to offer in terms of our gaming platform. And uh, as NFTs moved from more just pure collectible into like, if you don't have utility that's meaningful, you're not doing well anymore you know that that was a moment i think we all probably remember who were in the space like early 2022 when things just started to get really tough unless you have a serious project um yeah that was our roadmap was utility-based nfts that play into our gameplay platform and uh, that was really the origin of rainmakers which is DraftKings like primary play when it comes to web3 strategy like we think we can build one of the great games of any kind using this like super novel web3 tech that's really just now kind of shaping up and becoming more prominent i mean it's an amazing story that you have here with uh you know what you've built in web3 but for those that are maybe a little more unfamiliar with Rainmakers, can you explain how it compares to you know the daily fantasy product that you offer? It has a bit of similarity to fantasy, um, but just how it incorporates Web three and how it differs from you know what's already currently in the market in kind of the traditional fantasy space. Yeah, absolutely. I think it the way that our customer described Rainmakers it's like the merger of everything that they like doing. You know, it's a combination of their love for fantasy sports. You know, tons of the people playing Rainmakers are people that were playing daily fantasy sports and adopted that like a new format. And uh, so certainly it's the love of fantasy sports, but it's also like interest in the Web3 and NFT space. It's um, interest in things like day trading. It's interesting in things like collecting traditional sports cards or uh, TCG game cards and things like that. Um, so like 
Magic the Gathering or something like that was a good comp. You know, it has a lot of similarities. Um, the whole spirit of it is like you're collecting athletes into your collection that then you're building rosters similar to traditional fantasy using those NFTs. And if you have somebody in your collection, you can use them. If you don't have them, you can't use them in your lineup. So there's a big um, kind of benefit of having athletes who are like stars, who are the people that would do well because uh, they'll score more points. And the core engine was we guaranteed over 30 million in prizes throughout the football season for free just to NFT holders. So if you're holding NFTs, you'll be competing for a variety of prizes, you know, uh, rewards through missions, rewards through achievements and leaderboards, experiences. We even did a national championship in New Orleans that was a live final uh, that had a chunk of people go down and compete for um, a $250,000 top prize. So lots of different dimensions to it especially for a year one product in a totally new space like we are really looking to build like the best nft utility driven project out there and we saw some really great momentum honestly given how how um like it was new it was something that people had to pick up and learn and it was a deep game that had a lot of dimension to it really great progress in the first few months uh, saw like DraftKings really if if we were reporting it on some of the big you know uh, NFT sales trackers and stuff it was like the top project a bunch of weeks in the entire space you know so it really gave us a lot of conviction around like this idea of NFT driven fantasy where like the NFT ownership is your key to competing for prizes and you can constantly be like buying, selling, trading in the marketplace to improve your collection as well as then like using your skill in fantasy to build the best team and win the best prizes. Like that whole engine we had a lot of conviction in. And so then we went out and started doing additional deals to get, you know, we didn't want to just have football through the NFLPA partnership. So we went out and did a deal with the UFC. We did uh, a recently announced deal with PGA. And so we're really looking to expand. And I kind of think of it almost like Madden Ultimate Team and there's FIFA Ultimate Team. And, you know, in UFC, like EA has kind of expanded this idea of Ultimate Team into a bunch of different you know, uh, uh, lanes of sports. And uh, in a lot of ways, Rainmakers is similar. And what has been the reception by the leagues that you've been working with? You mentioned you have the NFL, you have the UFC, and you're now working with the PGA. Has ha Have they felt the impact of, you know, this type of engagement from the fan base? Because I have to imagine this, you know, takes the, the level of engagement from what you're used to in fantasy to now, you know, potentially being able to monetize some of that. Not that you weren't able to do that with fantasy before. There's obviously ways to make money and, you know, to, to earn. Um, but this, I feel like because you're now able to buy, sell, trade, you have that ability to do it throughout the season to continue to mix and match. Um, you know, what has been the reception? Do you think that more leagues are going to join in on this? Do you think that, you know, this is the staying power of this is, is showing through? To bring to market a product that has IP, like authentic IP from like these various sports requires like the, the rights, you know, so you have to go out and work with the players associations and the league in a lot of cases uh, to bring to market a game that has all of the IP, you know, um, 
at a minimum, you usually need to deal with the players, right? Because the fantasy game is very player driven. So like likeness, name, image, all of that's very important to the the NFT being a sort of like authentic, like very strong collectible, right? And so it wouldn't be the same if it just said like Atlanta QB number 11 or something, right? It's you want to have it. This is like that sports card collectible DNA. So the idea of like educating players associations and leagues, I, I think initially the interest came from the standpoint of like, oh my God, the industry is exploding, growing super fast. And they were hearing big checks. You know, uh, that was the 2021. You saw all these all these fundraisers like so rare raise 680 million or something on like a $5 billion valuation with what I would consider to be like a pretty, it was like a sub hundred thousand audience, you know, uh, very few actually paying. And it, so it was kind of like a projection out to the future. Like, is this going to be massive? And so the leagues initially, I think we're getting behind it from the standpoint of like, can we get a big check now? And then as things have kind of cooled off a little bit and a little bit more like rational deals have kind of started to show up. Really, it's been much more about the customer engagement. And I think that's a much healthier place to be because, you know, DraftKings don't play in the super speculative space like that. We're not, you know, we're not a startup that can just bet the house on one little venture like that. We only want to do rational things, right? So the deals that have more recently been popping up in the space now that things are a little bit more cool, I think that's really allowed us to... Um, to kind of build from a foundation that's super solid. You know, it's coming from a place of like building a real business that really makes sense. It really has, you know, appeal to consumers. It has unit economics that makes sense to DraftKings. The consumer's happy with their value prop. And most importantly, I think, is that the players are getting compensated for the use of their likeness. And so, like, you saw stuff like uh, Rainmakers Football, where we had TV spots with Kevin Hart, but also, like, Lamar Jackson, Zeke, uh, Stefan Diggs. You know, the athletes getting behind it really helps to amplify you know, and it's almost in a way that we can't do it. We can't do it with sports betting because like active players have a prohibition against marketing and in, in sports betting. So I thought it really gave us a new way to engage athletes who are like the biggest stars today and get them involved in like what I think is going to be a really exciting product. Yeah, I just think it's such a interesting concept when and I think it's, you know, the buy-in from a fan when you have to, you know, spend money and purchase and then you're, you know, responsible and you have this ownership, right? And that's, I think, a big key point that uh, is not talked about a lot when you hear the word NFT in Web3 because everyone, as you mentioned, right, gets caught up in the hysteria, the speculation. And now that we've come down to more, I would say, or we all have more level heads, this true con or this concept around true digital ownership is really starting to show through. And I think what you've built in Rainmakers allows, you know, fans to feel that a little bit more in a digital sense where maybe they were only getting that when they were purchasing season tickets or, you know, wearing their favorite player's jersey. Now you're, you know, buying in. And I would just have to imagine from a, a league perspective, this is just going to, you know, speed up the level of, of engagement that maybe new fans or surrounding fans in the space would have with a league when they're, you know, invested in this way. I just think it's an awesome concept. And to your point, like, I think it is probably one of the hidden gems in terms of games. Like we talk a lot about Web3 gaming 
And this is one of the hidden gems of, of the last year or so. And not many people talk about or even put it in that space. Um, so it's just, it's fascinating to hear about. Yeah, it's, I think it's a pretty huge category into the future. And like one of the ways that I've thought about specifically Rainmakers, and a lot of this applies to Web3 and NFT and the type of opportunities that will come up for companies, um, but specifically to Rainmakers, it's if I'm a sports, and I do all of this personally, by the way, I have probably like one of the biggest NFT collections. I have um, sports card wise, I have some insane stuff. Like I have like insane cards. You'd lose your mind. I'm a huge Celtics fan. I'm like every single game I'm at the Celtics. It's my like one thing. My wife and I go to like almost every single game. My daughter's obsessed with it. We're like number one fan of the Celtics. And so I have like a, a giant, sports card collection of Celtic stuff, like the best Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, 1980, 81, Topps rookie, like all this, like Jason Tatum, RPAs, like that, like insane. And, but the reason I buy it is it doesn't have utility. I just feel like, you know, I'm a big fan. It makes me feel closer to the team. Makes me feel like I went from, uh, like I'm in like super fan mode when I'm engaging in that way. You know, I'm like building my identity almost around the sort of things that I collect. I want like game used jerseys and and I want Tatum's new sneakers and all this stuff. But it's like identity. There's no utility. And when I think about fantasy, it's really just kind of like money in, money out. There's no long-term connection to the player. So it's like, sure, I could go on DraftKings and draft Jason Tatum every day, and that's great, but there's not a sense of, it's like every day is a new day, right? And what's cool about Rainmakers is I think it really merges these ideas. Like I can be that super fan, that super collector, but if my team does well, my NFT collection is suddenly super coveted. It's doing well in the fantasy leagues. Like I'm scoring a ton of points, winning a bunch of prizes. Um, if somebody gets traded, like I can just sell all of their cards on the marketplace and pick up, you know, we did like a couple small trades at the deadline so I could go out and I'll get like Mike Mascala and I'll, you know, like it's that kind of dynamic, right? Where you can take the people that, that you are passionate about and, but it also has the utility behind it. And, so I think that whole idea is just like it, it's much more powerful than either of the two by themselves. And that's where I think a lot of the the growth and the future will come from is really like, what if I'm a sports card collector and 10% of what I'm doing becomes Rainmakers because like I like the collectability, but also like you can't match the utility. Or if I'm a fantasy player and 10% of what I do goes towards like building a collection in Rainmakers because it also scratches that part of my like interest where I want to like hold and own like a player, you know. So lots of really cool stuff to like there. One other analogy that I tell a lot of people is like even though DraftKings is a big sports company, a lot of what I collect personally is TCG games like Flesh and Blood, Magic, like um, uh, uh, MetaZoo. Like why? Because that's weird. Isn't that nerdy? No, it's not. The reason why TCG games are super cool is because they have utility, right? You're playing a game with the cards. So there's always going to be collectability. There's always going to be like metas in the TCG game that make certain cards like more or less valuable. 
Um, so it has all of the same aspects of like scarcity, card grades, like, um, but underneath that is there's a real game that consumers are playing. You know, it's like competitive games. And so I think it's, um, it's almost like gravitated me equally so towards TCG as sports, even though I wouldn't have necessarily thought that, you know, five years ago. I've just noticed, like, I just see so much value in utility that it's hard to ignore TCG. Yeah, the focus on utility, too, it, it does curb the speculation. Obviously, you can still have some speculation, right? If you think, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going to have another MVP-like season, maybe those player cards start trading up, right? But it's never going to fully get ahead of itself, which is what you could say about maybe a lot of the projects in the Web3 space over the past two years. This is still going to always be tied to what can this player provide when I place them in my lineup for next week? And I think, you know, to your point, right, like when you talk about the TCG cards, all of those cards have value in the game that you end up playing with someone else. And as long as that's still entertaining to a a broad base of individuals, there's going to be value associated with those underlying assets. And you're just bringing this concept of utility and ownership now into the digital age and focusing it on sports, which is one of the largest entertainment sectors in the world. I mean, I just, I think it's a home run. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's an incredible opportunity. Yeah. And that, I think that idea brings probably the main thing to the forefront, which is like what you do if you're building, because there was a bubble, right? In 2021, for sure. And even personally, when I was in there, you'd you'd see this all the time. People would mint NFT projects, immediately flip it, arbitrage things. Like it was day trading almost, and that is a that's super valid. Like when a market's really dynamic, when the prices are changing a lot, and there's lots of like, you know, some things could go to zero really fast, some things could go to like a hundred x. Like you do see a lot of that behavior, like the the arbing, the speculation all very short-term thinking and like none of what rainmakers has ever been has been with even like a shred of short term so during like the earliest part it was a little bit of a tougher sell it's like why not ca- why not capitalize more on all the momentum all the short term like dollar opportunity and on the flip side i think now you see the benefits of the patience cuz when you do that then on the back end, what happens is there's a lot of unhappy people. <laughs> the people end up being quite unhappy that it's like, okay, I tried to like get into this space um, and it didn't go so well. You know, that's when you're in that frenzy, it's like hard to build something sustainable long term. But like that's what DraftKings does. It's like everything we did have a multi year roadmap. It's not like um, quick cash in, right? And so, like the idea of, moderating customer expectations in a in a space where people are like oh i could mint some random like duck project and make 100x tomorrow why do i care about rainmakers it's like well it's because it's a game that for years and years will be here and it's always going to be there you know it's always going to be there for you and like over time as you learn the game, it has a lot of depth, a lot of dimensions. It's going to be engaging almost in the same way that, you know, people engage with Ultimate Team or they engage with World of Warcraft or any game that you're building a long-term identity around. You know, it's like a, uh, I think a much different approach that you take when you're building over the course of years versus if you're building with like a short-term frame in mind. And so like, I think it was tough probably to keep like to, to try to moderate expectations and avoid the quick hit thing. 
and at times unpopular, but um, it also is really helpful during to have like a sort of vision like that when you're navigating through a bearish market like we are now. I guess on the topic of utility, how do you think about the transfer of utility? And I guess like on a higher level, like what does Web3 interoperability mean to you? So specifically to DraftKings, because I could do like a sort of like at like a um, industry answer or like DraftKings and I'm DraftKings. So from my standpoint, everything I do in Web3 is to learn things to apply to like specific use cases at DraftKings that make sense. It's like my, like I said, my dream job. I, I love everything I'm doing here and like everything I do in life pretty much is to apply in some way to DraftKings. So the core utility of Rainmakers is playing games or earning rewards on the DraftKings platform. And so what we've built had like a conscious decision around, like if you're buying uh, Rainmakers NFTs, the utility of owning them is related to playing on DraftKings platform. It's like you're playing fantasy on the platform to win millions in prizes every week. You're playing to yield rewards through the missions platform on DraftKings. You're playing to yield rewards on achievements that you, you do over the long term on DraftKings. Some of the prizing and rewards help you in other products that we have, like free bets and things like that on the sportsbook the leaderboard, everything's like so endemic to the DraftKings experience. And we've also had in mind, this is not like a giant external marketing push. A lot of this is, you know, cross sell or like adoption from our existing audience into a new project that we were hoping would be their favorite thing. And so as we thought about, you know, it's not like we have a small marketing budget, but this was never thought of as like, oh, let's now add a bunch of new sort of external reach marketing to like, like, no, we have millions and millions of customers that we can, that are using our other products that we can bring into the fold here and then reward them on the things they're already doing, but also give them like an amazing experience within our world. I think there's some benefits and some, some cons to that. Like the benefits are a lot of our users, like the vast bulk of our users have like KYC in place. They have um, anybody uh, playing for money for sure, right? So it's like, we have a lot of KYC verified accounts, people, we have like uh, credit card relationships. We have the routines around how we deal with taxation and all of the reporting requirements and everything, right? That like that foundation that I think a lot of startups in Web3 are gonna struggle with. It's like, oh, I have to start reporting stuff to the, you know, uh, IRS or whatever. Oh no, like DraftKings is already built that way because our other products are regulated and we have all the KYC and all of that done. So there's a lot of future proofing there. Like no matter what happens almost on the regula regulatory front, we already have a great organization around compliance, regulatory, tax, et cetera. And as a part of that, there was a little bit of, a, I know there's some principles of Web3, like decentralization and whatever. Like there's some principles of that that are less reflected in Rainmakers. Like it's definitely like DraftKings have custody of the NFTs, right? And they're sort of assigned to people's names. And so we maintain a ledger and the NFTs, like they do live on, on the blockchain, but it's sort of like in our custodial wallet, almost similar to, you know, like some of the other, like there's Nifty Gateway would be an example, like a marketplace that has a custodial wallet and a ledger of who owns what. And 
So I think the downside of that is some customers who really value decentralization and some of like the hardcore Web3 kind of like principles like are turned off by that. Um, on the plus side, there's really no scamming. There's no like people aren't losing their collection because they got uh, hacked. Like stuff is pretty secure and safe and nice. And it's a, a nice playground. And I think for a product that has so many new users and maybe people that are like first time ever buying an NFT, like that is a good thing, like from an onboarding standpoint. And from there, it's kind of easy to gateway into like, I'm going to buy a ledger and go on OpenSea or whatever. Like I'll, I'll dabble in more sort of products that are decentral or whatever. So for Rainmakers, that's kind of like how we looked at it, though, is so much of the utilities tied to the platform. It almost like doesn't make sense in the same way. I guess on the topic of centralization, decentralization, can you talk about why you guys decided to go with Polygon? I think Polygon is like sneaky in terms of their scale, like quite large. A lot of the um, kind of layer one chains that are thought of as like next in line behind Ethereum are much, much smaller in terms of volume than Polygon. But because it's layer two, I don't think it gets quite enough credit. And a lot of it came down to like efficiency in terms of things like gas fees or being able to transact pretty seamlessly. And then um, I would say one area that was like super important was a deep relationship with the team. And, you know, like we're a validator. We have like a very close business relationship with the the team at Polygon. So I think that's allowed us to collaborate much more closely to talk about like what we're building. Um, we're definitely like one of the biggest sort of users and minters on the chain. I know when we were minting our, our football product, it like it's noticeable. You see the imprint of DraftKings on on Polygon. And I think like operating at the scale we are, like millions and millions of NFTs, things kind of um like when you're one of the biggest, you want to have a close relationship with the team behind it, you know, because things don't always go perfectly and smoothly. So I thought um, more important almost than the tech being the best, which I thought it, it was up there, uh, if not number one, like was the relationship with the team and like the operational aspect of it was also like top, top notch. So it's the best total package for us. It's interesting you, you say that in, in terms of usage, because I remember you know, one of our, our uh, associates, uh, Frank Downing, he helps on the on the crypto side, we were looking at a few engagement charts on Polygon. And there was just this huge uptick, you know, sometime around football season. Um, and in terms of, you know, activity and wallet use, and, you know, we were trying to put together the pieces, and we kind of all kind of came to the same conclusion, well, oh, this must be, you know, the Rainmaker program and what DraftKings is doing there, because it's just, you know, starting to see success. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's good to finally have that kind of confirmation. <laughs> I know you didn't specifically point it out, but, you know, I remember looking at those charts, uh, you know, a few months ago and saying, wow, you know, Polygon's really starting to see that uptick. And I would also agree with you. We've actually had uh, Ryan Wyatt on the podcast. So huge fans of their business team. I think he's the president over there at Polygon Labs. And yeah, really, we're really impressed with what Polygon has done. So it was very, very, uh, it was very uh, great to see you guys choose them as uh, the back end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think for a lot of the, the more transactional NFT-based games, Polygon's a great choice. It's like, um, I think Zed Run was built up on, on Polygon and some other, you know, it's a, it's a good option for sure. And team being top notch like i have right i have a you know high expectations about what's next and like how we might 
sort of deepen that relationship over time? Well, just, you know, when you say what's next, I guess that that's our next question, right? You know, you, you have this intersection, you have this, you know, now budding business uh, with Rainmakers. Where do you see all of this going? How, you know, this intersection between the sports world, sports betting, and now Web3 and what you're doing with Fantasy and, and Rainmakers, like what's next on this roadmap? What's your kind of five-year not vision for because we don't want to get into specific products that you may be launching, but just kind of your your hopes and aspirations for this space uh, as a whole. Yeah, like from a just like what are the lanes that we're trying to invest right now? Like Rainmakers is our big bet, hundred percent. Like in and when it comes to uh, like how to apply what's great about this sort of like blockchain and NFT tech to DraftKings, this is the 90 plus percent scenario of like what makes sense for us, right? And so like most of our investment heavily behind Rainmakers, the sort of things that help us develop that business, expansion of of sports. So like I, I mentioned, we did the deal with NFLPA and then followed that on with UFC and PGA Tour. So I think those are you know, when you think about those combined, it covers off almost every single active customer on DraftKings are in one of these lanes. Um, football's massive. Everyone, I think, knows that, but um, definitely would not bat an eye at the type of audience that UFC draws, and I would not bat an eye at the audience golf draws either. Like, tremendous in terms of reach. And I think as we continue to build that out, like more relationships are of interest because that just deepens our customer relationship, gives people like the opportunity to play the game that they love against like the type of content, you know, the sport that's their favorite. And so like that's definitely a dimension. I think hardening all aspects of the game, the game mechanics. Because at the end of the day, you launch something, you think it all makes sense, but there's always like major feedback. You know, when you launch a, effectively a beta or a version one of a new game, like we're getting feedback constantly. People like, I hate this. I love this, you know, and it's so like lots of credit for innovation, but also like if we don't keep up with the demand to keep improving the core loop of the game and make it engaging, like, I think it, the interest would die. So, like, we're constantly investing in, like, what are these P1 type, like, things that keep coming up in feedback that we want to fix up. Spending a lot of time on things like the off-season mechanics and, like, the year one to year two transition. So, like, an example would be we launched, like, a crafting and burning portal where you can take last year cards, throw them into this portal, and convert them into, like, future cards at some rate. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I actually just did that today because I was, you know, doing my research for this. And I've, I've, I've been using Rainmakers all year, but I did the craft and burn. I, I hadn't seen it until today, and I thought that was a really great feature. So, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, because you know, if you're on the the front lines of being an early adopter, year one of a product like this, you're dealing with a lot of ambiguity. You know, for sure, it's almost the equivalent of like if you played. 2022 or 2023 Madden Ultimate Team, like, I don't know, when I was a kid, Madden kind of sucked. It was like, all right, but, you know, 20 years ago, and even before that, there was games like Tech Mobile or something, and you wouldn't judge the game at, like, an early stage in terms of, like, what it could be in the future, right? Like, objectively, the game has got developed over the course of years and years 
improved consistently the tech the you know creative the marketing engine the programs on top of it like competition programs and whatnot ultimate team all this stuff right uh gamification so all the things that get developed over the course of years i think it's important to remember that the game was launched quite recently and you know august of last year was literally the first uh nft player card that ever sold not even a year ago what is that six months ago or something because we're so um we do pride ourselves on being fast agile quick but i think the version of that in this world is like we're pushing pretty hard and things take time to build so like i think what customers can expect is over the course of months and years that continued investment in hardening the game you know you open it up it's really obvious what to do 100% of the time like you really get the game fast you can jump in pretty easily the onboarding offers are all like super proven out and hardened the missions the achievements like what you're trying to do on leaderboards collection goals uh the fantasy gameplay and prizing like everything just gets super hardened to a point where it's like an amazing experience end to end and i feel like that's a a job that never really ends but in the early couple of years i think the movement that people will see is going to be super rapid you know like it'll be there's such low hanging fruit to improve the experience that i feel like we'll be able to demonstrate to customers like there's some real investment going here and it's being built for like a long-term success story and so i think that's uh like a pretty big focus for us right now and uh, in terms of marketing, I don't think we're like super focused on scale at this point, aside from saying like would love to have a ton of users on it right now. But like we definitely want to make sure that we're able to retain and satisfy the people who are in the game. And so starting with like this pocket of tens of thousands of people playing, collect tons of data, then you kind of roll out a couple new sports with new models. And uh, like I think it's allowed us to learn really fast and I think we'll know when it's time to really hit the gas super hard based on if people are loving the game and super satisfied like it'll be that'll be the time right like that's when i think it could shift from like a, a fairly niche universe to something much more like an ultimate team or a magic the gathering like millions and millions and millions of people that are like this game is for me you know but I, I, we have work to do, you know, it's going to take some time to really get it to that place where we have like the same conviction in Rainmakers as we do in our sports betting platform or our DFS or casino. Do you think the introduction of NFTs into fantasy sports um, makes a material impact on like private betting group behavior? Like, what do you think about like the social incentives to engage with sports NFTs? Um, I guess like the difference between just general betting versus betting with friends. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, there's some games that are peer to peer and some against the house, and like those have been pretty different. Like, we definitely see against the house games, like the sports book. Um, people love they love to kind of tail the same things or share bets with each other. And a lot of the time with games, I think one of the the rainmakers, I guess, challenges is people are competing against each other. So desire to share like the best info, the best tips. Or even in some ways, the desire to like grow the game, you have to get past that initial hurdle, right? Because it's like, oh, if you play, then that's more competition for me to win these prizes and whatever. And so I think job one is just kind of getting supplied to the right amount, getting to the scale where it's like, cool, 
everything's selling out. More is always better because that just kind of makes interest in the secondary market. You know, there's more eyeballs on it. I think like getting to that kind of scale will really matter a lot. And that creates a lot of social interest in like, hey, the more the merrier, because like I have a lot of NFTs. I want people looking at them and, you know, having interest in them and seeing them as valued, you know, collectibles. So that's really like a big part of the job. Um, Some of what we're able to do with Rainmakers, I think, is from a marketing standpoint as well. It, It lets us kind of tap into some new audiences that think maybe a little differently than a skill gamer or a sports better. Like when I talk about, um, you know, like card collectors, for example, like people like I was talking about my Celtics collection and like that's very important to me and it has no utility other than my identity. And people are like, wow, Matt, you're cool that you have that. Like no one else it has nothing else that it does for me other than identity or whatever. But to the extent that this is the right opportunity to engage that sort of consumer. I think it helps us open up the funnel quite a bit as well. And uh, so, yeah, I guess like where that would come into play on social would be like more of your friends. There's something for you in the game than maybe da- uh, daily fantasy where people are intimidated a little bit more or uh, sports betting where some people might just not be into it. So we don't have much time left, but I do want to broaden uh the, the scope a bit here, move away from DraftKings because we know you're heavily involved outside of DraftKings in the Web3 space as at, you know, at large. Um, I think, and hopefully this doesn't come off as creepy, but I think both Andrew and I have followed your activity in the broader Web3 space and see what you're purchasing and you know what projects you're involved in. So um, that's been fun. But curious your take on you know we've been in this nft winter for about a year maybe a, you know a little bit less what you know you you mentioned a lot about utility it seems like that is an area of focus for developers and projects but you know as we come out of this nft winter what do you think or you know what are you most excited for what are you going to be looking for in projects where are you going to spend time focused on and you know what excites you about the broader web3 space as a whole so in terms of personal collection, I've always made my wallet public just because like even if people think I'm like, whatever, buying too much of something, selling too much of something, like disagree with my decisions, at least it's out, like I'd rather have everything be just kind of public because otherwise I think there's a lot of speculation about like the last thing I'd want is for something that's like a relatively smaller part of my life. Like DraftKings is my like I said, dream job, would never want to do anything that was kind of like at all, you know, undermines the awesome work going on in the company. So I'm like, here's everything that's in all my accounts or whatever, right? I'm happy to like always do that. And I think it's important. And yeah, I've always gravitated toward, there's a couple categories of things that I thought were interesting. Like one is I think like history matters and scarcity matters. So some of like the earliest projects I always found to be quite interesting like um some of the stuff that i like uh i went pretty deep on was like spells of genesis or things like way way kind of pre the bubble four or five years the first ever projects that were on um whatever name coin or bitcoin or uh the earliest ethereum projects so i tried to make sure i was like covered off there like these could be the things that are like the mickey mantles or the like if you believe in category growth, these become like Hannes Wagner and Mickey Mantle and whatever. And so like pure collectible value 
tied to history, I always thought was interesting. CryptoPunks is probably like one of the biggest uh, projects that I jumped into on that front. Then there's a second bucket, which is like current modern projects that I like the team or I think the team is like doing good stuff and I believe that they're going to keep working. <laughs> so it's always a little bit of a question, like which projects are going to actually continue to work. And so the two main questions I ask are, is it good people that have something to lose? I love vFriends, for example, because it's like, I know Gary is going to be there. He's not going to, I don't know if it's going to be like a huge, oh my God, everybody's like, it's GI Joe in 10 years, or if it's going to be like not that popular or somewhere in the middle. But I do know for sure that there's going to be work done. And I know for sure that there's like things to lose. It's not a rug. It's not like a, a scam, you know, and uh, it also like supports people that I think are doing cool stuff in the space. So I'm like in the camp of if I like the team and I think that the team is going to work hard and generally like see an upside scenario, I'll usually want to be involved a little bit. And then um, uh, always interested in like just because I'm a kind of like collector. I like flipping things. I like trading. I'm always interested in like some stuff that I'm like buying with the intention to sell and buy and sell just for fun. It's like a hobby for me. So a lot of the time it's like macro. A lot of the time it's like specific ideas, but um, I just like trading stuff. I like buying and selling cards. I like all of that is like a huge hobby for me. One of like the things I think is underestimated too in the space is just like macro strategy around, for example, like taxes and like being a little bit more optimized because it's easy to waste a ton of money unnecessarily in the space. And I think a good example would be like holding the bag on a giant loss for no good reason. Like a lot of the time there's like pretty good substitutes for an NFT. If you want to have a position in the project and you have like a big basis on something and you could sell it and get back into the project with like a pretty similar, you know, NFT doesn't really make sense to just sit there and hold this like asset that has a ton of basis on it, like not take the loss. And so I think a lot of people are like comf more comfortable selling things that are up and holding things that are down. And to me, that's like the opposite of the idea. <laughs> so like I'm always interested in macro, like just making sure that you're kind of making the most of you know what you're putting into the space, you know, from that standpoint as a collector. Otherwise, yeah, I try to keep my eyes open. Sometimes I have more time for it. Sometimes I have less time. A lot of it depends on what's happening at DraftKings and the other things that are like demanding on time. But I always try to keep my eye out for like new innovative ideas and things that might be like, I didn't even know that that was a thing, but I guess it's a thing. And, you know, try to like jump in and get involved in some of those like uh, potential disruptive experiences. Uh, I guess one more I would call out is like famous artists. I'm a sucker for like the one that I was like most, I thought was just so cool was Tom Sachs. I thought built a really cool project, but anybody who's like the, the Damien Hurst and Tom Sachs and like the, the Murakami, like people that are traditionally in physical art, very highly thought of. I think we should always put some stock in like that they're going to be able to translate that into digital and have like non-utility pure collectible value. So a little bit of everything. I know it's a laundry list, but I just think this space has a lot to offer. And so I try to keep my eyes like open and keep an open mind towards all of those things. Yeah. And then last, last question. How are we feeling about the Celtics this season? Good? High hopes? Really good. Yeah, I feel tremendous. I think it's... If 
if health is there, it's going to be pretty tough to beat the Celtics, I think. And yeah, I know like no, we, we haven't had any like season long season ending type injuries from the, the, the team, right? So I think we are in a position where like we're number one, should be able to get into the playoffs with home court, should hopefully have a healthy team. And then, you know, it's kind of nice to know that they've been there. Like last year they were in the finals narrowly missed it like at one point Celtics were up 2-1 and I think that they were like minus 260 in the sports book to win so like we were really close I mean very close and I think the idea that like they get there again and don't get it done feels a little less likely now and always possible but um I think the main the main thing is just like keeping that really positive team culture execute really well uh, and hopefully you just have the right things break your way so you can survive and advance and keep making it all the way to the end. There you go. Well, Matt, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. This was an awesome discussion. It was great to get your perspective uh, and, and your story around DraftKings and, and you know what you guys are doing in the Web3 space. Um, super fascinating stuff, and we wish you the best of luck. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. And as well with all of the support from Mark has been just such a wind in our sails and it means so much. So um, good times, bad times, whatever, like the long-term conviction in what DraftKings is doing, I think is uh, it's always something that we've really valued. And as a founder, of course, like Jason, Paul and I talk all the time about, you know, there's endless amounts of people that like will jump in at the best of times. And I thought Ark has always been a great supporter and in all times, you know, of our company. And I hope that that yields really great rewards in the future. And yeah, thanks for having me. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.